What's up, guys? Dave Lipson here, and welcome to a special episode of the Love and Thunder podcast. We've got a great guest on with us today. This guy is someone that I've personally looked up to for a very long time, have read his books, a huge fan of his company, and really just an inspirational character. We've got Chris Duffin of Kabuki Strength with us today. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Looking forward to uh, talking today. So for you guys out there that may not be familiar with Chris, um, how do I put this? Chris, you wear a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> that uh, That's sometimes the problem with, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I don't fit in any boxes at all. So Yeah, so, so Chris is an inventor. He is a world record holding eight-time number one power lifter in the world, Guinness Book of World Record holding strength athlete who has decided to, hey, let's see if we can back squat and deadlift a thousand pounds, dot, dot, dot for reps. And yeah. uh, and also an entrepreneur, um, a mentor. I mean, you do so many different things. And um, Chris, I mean, I think, I think a great place to start just to give these guys some context is, you know, if we kind of we're starting like Quentin Tarantino in the end and be like, here's this guy that's done all these incredible, you know, things, but take me back to the beginning, man. How, how did you become the man that you are? And tell us a little bit about this really inspirational story that I read about in your book about, you know, not, um, every story has a beginning and what do we say? It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And you certainly did not have the easiest start. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely had a different scope, I'll say, of life arc than most people uh, in that aspect. So, yeah, today, you know, I, I have multiple uh, companies. I'm on the advisory board for an engineering college. I'm on the advisory board for the College of Functional Movement Clinicians. Uh, so I play in a lot of these kind of different realms. And, yeah, I lifted a lot of weights, did all that sort of stuff. But how I got here is really a journey of understanding myself and a journey of developing resilience, strength, as you may call it, in many different realms and understanding the importance of that and how to apply that and how that started. One of those early lessons is I was had in my hands one day, six years old, I'm staring down the jaws, literally of most of the answers to life and also a rattlesnake it was in my <laughs> <Yeah>. hands just <laughs> wrap it around my arm and yeah i was uh staring at this rattlesnake and because i was six years old and i had been taught how to capture and handle live rattlesnakes because i lived homeless in the wilderness my bed was lashed up into the trees and some beams up there and this is in Northern California. It was a very kind of chaotic and kind of strange area. Uh, the Golden Triangle, I think is what it was called. And later we lived in this place that there's a current Netflix documentary about it. If you've got any questions about the stories I may tell around dealing with murderers, drug running, <laughs> serial killer, human trafficking. Like I personally experienced living in that that world with those people and, and navigating it at a very young age. And so, yeah, that was a very different life. You know, my, my parents, my mother chose to not be a part of 
our normal society. She was super intelligent, very athletic, but authority was not her thing. And she said she's going to figure out how to, you know, forge a life off of that. Now, that was interesting with having family at the same time. So I was the oldest. I had a younger brother and three younger sisters. And so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's how it started. And so I was responsible for you know, watching all my younger siblings while my, my mom and her husband were out, you know, tending the crops in the mountains through the day. And so as, you know, time passed, you know, I had a lot of responsibility on me very early. We ended up getting taken by the state when I was just after I'd finished second grade, so between second and third grade and spent a year in foster care which deals with uh, the aspect of police corruption and human trafficking and all this other stuff. I talk about in the book, but it's, it's honestly kind of hard for me to talk about. So usually I just gloss over that a little bit uh, when I telling these stories. So, and <clears throat> parents ended up getting us back after that year and had decided not to be in the drug trade anymore and not risk losing the kids. And so we we're in Oregon at this point in time, Eastern Oregon, but pretty quickly fell back into this realm because not wanting to be that. So this time it was mining. And so we were out doing that. I was living in the back of a pickup truck, you know, the whole family's trying to shove into a 16 foot trailer, which is not very big, not much bigger than this little podcasting space actually. Uh, <laughs> Uh, during the course of the winter where it's got a few feet of snow on the ground or living in tents. I think I had my tent torn down by a bear one time. I kept the flashlight for a long time. I had the bear had like uh, eaten the end of it. Oh, but, <laughs> so this is my barefoot brand, by the way, is kind of reflective of that. Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. The shoeless kid running around the mountains being chased by or chasing bears, whatever, whatever it may be. I mean, that's, that was my, that was my life. And so, so I had a lot of experiences with living in uncertainty and facing, facing fear, the reality of it at a very young age, facing death uh, at a very young age. I, yeah, I, and, and I, I paused for a second thinking about some stories and I kind of, yeah, you know, I mean, it can, can hit me. So this is stuff out of a, a movie. It's like out of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, there's I, a movie actually underway. So yeah, there, well, uh, that's there, there I'm like, I think, I'm like I, th I feel like I've seen a show about this one time about these, you know, communities that are living in the woods or uh, a father that decides to go off the grid. And, and now the kids are, you know, living in this, this altered, you know, different dimension kind of lifestyle. <laughs> and, um, and the name of the book is the eagle and the dragon correct the eagle and the dragon yeah and there will be a movie coming out titled the grand goals which is uh, i was followed during the course of completing my the thousand pound squat piece of my thousand pound deadlift and thousand pound squat journey and so they documented that but told a lot of and interviewed people through the course of my life uh kind of telling the the larger story around it so i'm not sure when that's coming out, but uh, I'm told it's close to being done, uh, edited. So, so but tell me, Chris, like, you know, to anybody that would be just such a transformative experience. 
How did you get out of that? How did you, what were the next steps, you know, when you started becoming the man you are today? And I think that those experience you had probably shaped a lot of the foundation of who you are today as a man in a completely different environment. But um, how, yeah, how- no, and, and a lot of people, you know, can use a story like that to, you know, articulate like how anybody can pull themselves out, pull themselves up, you know, by the bootstraps. And I think that there's some context to that, just like, you know, the context of being able to walk into a gym the first time, like everybody has a different baseline level of resilience to start with. Some people can walk in and throw 225 on the bar and squat a bunch their first time while another person that's going to destroy. And so we've all got those different levels. But what, what we all have in common is if you don't, you know, surpass that floor level, that every bit of you know, every opportunity to take on something that's a little more, as long as you've got that piece to recover, you're building your strength. You know, every challenge is an opportunity to develop your, you know, skill with dealing with conflict, with dealing with interactions like it. But just like, you know, if I did CrossFit daily doubles at three hours a day, seven days a week, training for the games, and I'm not, I don't have the you know, it can crush you. And that's where like trauma comes in. Right. And so understanding like more is not always better. And just because a person did it doesn't mean that necessarily you can, but we can all leverage and harness the ability to be better and to use that stress to be able to adapt. And even something shitty has happened to you. You can't change that. Right. So you can either live and wallow in that negativity or you can go, you know what, there's some there's a piece of this that I can still leverage and be stronger, knowing that I've overcome and walked through this. And so that's an important thing, because some of us have been through some shit in life. And sometimes even as a successful adult, maybe you're a businessman and your your company's failing or your boss is on you or you're dealing with a you know, a relationship issue with your with your spouse. Like there's so many aspects of like you know, stress, it's all, it's all the same. Right. And so the more that you can actually build your, your resilience as a human being, and we're not just talking about in the gym, right. But in all these other aspects is an opportunity, but you've got to manage it to some level too. Right. And and so that's important. So I didn't answer your question, but it was a, I think it was a good time to, to hit some baseline stuff there. Well, that was uh, how really I got because like, you know, my wife, Camille, and I were talking, we deal with a lot of people that sometimes market themselves or sell mental toughness, right? And it's, yeah. a, it's a catchphrase, very marketable, right? And, and what we realized is mental toughness isn't just about doing hard things, right? You know, to, to someone who runs ultra marathons and does these hundred mile races, that doesn't take a lot of mental toughness for them. They like it. They're comfortable with it. They do it. It's doing the thing that you don't want to do or having yeah. the experience that you're not adapted you, to that tests your mental yeah. toughness. And yeah, and somebody's so, doing an ultra marathon, but yet they're avoiding a difficult conversation with a family member or uh, their spouse or wherever they're not stepping into those moments with like, it's a small thing and you can feel it like your guts kind of twisting and you're turning away from it and you're choosing to turn away from it and going, Oh man, I'm a freaking tough because I, you need to see me crush it in the gym. I'm going to war, baby. Uh, <laughs> and, 
And then you see like, yeah, in this, in this, you know, mentorship realm or wherever, so many people love to push this, this hustle porn stuff, like that no matter if all you got to do is grind hard and you're going to get there, you're going to be successful. And that's not necessarily all the case. It's more important to know why you're grinding <laughs> and know your values and go, this is why I'm doing that. And I enjoy that process. But for the resilience side, it's being able to identify those micro moments, right? You're not going to just walk up and be able to navigate something massive in life. You have to develop those just like you're not going to walk into a CrossFit competition and, and, and win it because I'm really freaking motivated and I'm mentally tough. So a lot of micro moments of building your, your resilience over time, just like there is in life going, God, there's a, you know, an issue with a coworker or somebody's claim, claiming a, you know, credit for a project or whatever it is. And it's like, I want to deal with this, but I'm a little scared and I'm just going to step away and ignore it. Those are your moments that you can take on. And that's how you grow. It's not by taking on this big thing that is going to, you know, maybe push you over the edge. These are the small things that get you there. These are the little workouts along the way that help you set the stage for that. And knowing and having the confidence of all those little pieces behind you. And guess what? Every one of those, you're actually developing your skill sets. So you can also be very particular about those micro moments that you choose going I'm a person that has struggles with dealing with, you know, conflict. We're going to find some small ones before you attack a big one, right? And to keep stacking, uh, stacking that up and getting comfortable, like, okay, I can walk into these moments. I have a trouble sp speaking in public, uh, standing up in a group, like, well, take some, take those smaller pieces and just do it, right? It, it, you're not going to walk out in front of a stage and do a, do a stand-up routine with, your, your first time, right? Uh, maybe you are, but the better process is to to do this and get comfortable. And so uh, how I got out of that is, you know, yeah, I, so that was the opportunity that I had through my childhood is gaining, even though I had a lot of, let's say, lack of self-confidence in number areas like social settings, things like that. I was constantly changing schools. I was made fun of because my clothes were dirty. I smelled whatever it was. I was the kid who lived in a trailer down by the liver, river, literally. And, and uh, you know, so the, that side of it. But I, I also had the confidence of like all the things that like I knew that I could persevere, that I could overcome. Uh, because, you know, I was always out there hauling rocks up the mountain, chopping wood, doing like having to set up camp, discovering I, I didn't know how to do something, failing at it, and then coming back again. And there was no one holding my hands with that. And so that's what gave me the confidence. And so I, I ended up doing quite well in school, academically and athletically. And then I leveraged that, uh, well, actually with a newspaper article. Uh, I was applying for a number of different scholarships. I didn't go to a big school, so I didn't have like all the, you know, the big things that opportunities uh, to, to put behind my name. And I did a little essay about, you know, moments in my life. And that got picked up by the wire service uh, as a thing back in the day, you know. Uh, and so I was in the papers all over the Northwest and a college called me up and said, hey, do you want to come here? 
because uh, I, I was supposed to go wrestle at uh, Oregon State, but I didn't get the scholarships that I wanted. And so I ended up getting scholarships, basically a full ride to go to Oregon Institute of Technology. So I went down there on a dual major and I started working too, because full ride doesn't necessarily mean full ride. Oh yeah, so, that's a big yeah. I mean, even, even now after they've changed the NCAA, it's like, you know, being a student athlete it is not all it's cracked up to be in the movies. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I did that. And so that was, uh, that was interesting because a couple years in things got worse at home, like way worse when I left. So I discovered that I had some sort of like, you know, calming or influence in the house, but things got really bad. And I ended up started taking custody of my sisters before I graduated school. I was also already at this point, like by my senior year in college, I owned my own home. I was working full time uh, in the profession already. So wait, back up. I was as a senior in college, you owned your own home. Well, you know, it was a small community. It was in the nineties. Like, I mean, it was, uh, I bought the house for $60,000, you know, like, yep. I mean, it was, that's pretty good. I mean, listen, uh, honestly, most, but I, I had, are so far from, uh, from so, having that level of resilience, right. It's, it's really just about doing the bare minimum. <laughs> so, well, yeah. And there was a bit of doing the bare minimum too. So, not necessarily, you know, worth any bragging rights because it's not uh, uh, an endearing trait. But I focused on the things that were going to move me forward and took advantage of the things that I that I that could help me get there. Did I try to be the best student? No, I was probably one of the worst students. I was elected the uh, president of the engineering society at the school as a joke. Um, <laughs> I performed really well. So what I used was my skill set. I'm very good at taking tests. So I mentioned I went to work. Well, I went to work and I didn't go to school. <laughs> I would didn't buy the books. I just showed up. It was engineering. It was math, right? So I could just show up to the finals. I would, well, at the beginning, I'd get the syllabuses and I'd find which ones had recommended homework and which ones had required homework. And I'd, I would cancel and change classes so that I didn't. I could just show up, take the tests, and uh, and, and this move all on. Sounds so, like working smarter, not harder. So, uh, so, so that allowed me to let's say multitask, right? So, uh, and there was a lot of uh, self discovery, you know, in that period too, of you know partying. <laughs> but for me, that was self discovery, realizing like, wow, I'm I'm an engaging person. People like me. Girls like me. Like. They didn't know my history, my past. I didn't have so like that, that fresh, you know, look and difference was was a good thing for me. Well, yeah, you. I ended up taking custody of my sisters. So I'll shorten the rest of the story here really fast. Uh, graduate with the highest engineering GPA, uh, went to work still in that same town. I was actually just like in a window door, like mill work plant. But I, I had chosen a path of leadership. I had specifically chosen a job that was challenging for somebody with lesser socialized skills of being a leader because i saw that as that right that's the that's the path that i needed to go on and then i followed that up with getting my master's degree at that point i had taken custody of my third of my uh my third uh sibling while i was working through uh, my master's degree 
and I was chasing my professional career. And next thing you know, this kid from the sticks was a sought after executive. You know, at one point I, I would start to do turnarounds. Like I was hired to come in and fix companies, turn around, prep them for sale. Like, so I worked in aerospace, automotive, uh, high tech, heavy, um, heavy equipment and was a guy that came in and, and fixed things. And so I was a, a corporate executive doing that. And I had some, I had two kids. I had a house with a white picket fence. I owned a gym on the side and I was competing. This is when I was actually ranked number one in the world. I was competing as an athlete, was, had my shop. I like building things. So I had a little machine shop out back where I built vehicles. And you'd think I'd have everything. And I'm sitting there in my hot tub one day. My kids are getting a little older. My oldest was like five, six years old. About the time I was picking up rattlesnakes. And I looked at my kids and I was looking there and I, I almost broke down crying. Thinking about them being in the same situation I was. And that's when it started hitting me. I had never really dealt with like, it was just things I went through, right? But I yeah. actually seeing my kids and then seeing like going, oh, holy shit. Like, that's when I like, this is crazy. And, and, uh, I really started evaluating where and what I wanted and who I wanted to be. And so that's the whole first half of the book, the Eagle, the Eagle yeah. is about discovering your own strength. And so my book is written not about B well, you've read it, but it's, it's to help people drive people on this kind of reflective journey to dive in and, you know, assess your own values and strengths and that's the second half of the book is the dragon and that's the the purposefully choosing in this world who do i want to be and becoming that person not a mask or anything like becoming that person you know i think and, Chris, like you were mentioning everyone has their struggles and their thresholds and the demons or whatever they're you know the thing they're trying to combat is and just speaking personally right uh you know, even in business, sometimes I'm I'm super duper hard on myself. Like I'm like, you suck. We're not growing fast enough. It's not working. Yada yada. And you you know, when when you are so focused on that next step, right? Where you're just trying to put one foot in front of the other and keep marching forward. Sometimes you forget to look back and see how far you've come. Yeah. And a lot of these these hangups or the, these um, these challenges you face, they're stories you're telling yourself. You know, like there is literally a narration and, and typically, you know, on the flip side of the boogeyman, whatever that might be, is usually a great opportunity, but it's hard to see that when, you know, you're, you're stuck telling yourself one story, you know, when you, when you're, you're kind of uh, not able to flip the script for yourself as you, you have been able to flip the script for yourself. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of um, a really cool. Uh, a, a really cool video by Jocko Willink, who's another, you know, former Navy SEAL, preaches about mental toughness, but actually has some interesting and valuable things to say. He has a video he that's some good things to say around it. I wouldn't yeah. put him in the same category as a lot. Yeah, of no, he's not, yeah. he's not wheeling and dealing like yeah. these other guys, but this video is called Good. And he talks mm -hmm. about the challenges. Oh, this is fucked up. Good. We can do that. Oh, we didn't get the money. Good. More time. You know, gear isn't performing as, as well. Good. We'll increase our capacity elsewhere. But, you know, there's usually always opportunity in these challenges. It's hard to see it, though, 
when you are so focused on what you can't do instead of exploring what you can do. And that's not just true with what we're talking about with like major life challenges. A lot of athletes tend to fall into that category when it comes to like injury, right? Where they're like yes, so yes. focused on like, oh, uh, my back is hurt. My knee is hurt. I, I can't do this movement. I can't do, I can't train like I used to. So, you know, I don't know what to do when in reality, there are always solutions. And oftentimes the, the, the injury can be a gift. It can help you learn about yourself, explore different capacities, maybe work in an area that you don't like to work in because you do what you're good at and you're good at what you do. But those things you avoid, you typically are challenged by. So, you know, along your journey with your engineering background, you started to leverage your knowledge and experience into a very innovative equipment company that provides amazing training solutions for athletes. Tell us a little bit about Kabuki Strength. Yeah. Well, I just want to leverage off of what you said there. So, so often we need to like do this deeper look and understand more about ourselves. And when you do that and, and remove like the expectations that you may or perceived expectations that you think people have around you and have that fresh look of, you know, from your own perspective, and then that environment, the things that are happening to you. So I own my own gym on the side at the time. And I'm always tinkering stuff, but I something happened. I ripped two heads of my pec off the bone, off my arm. And that for me was momentum. It fired me up. And I was in, I was in the gym three days after surgery doing uh, 500 pound uh, tire flips with one arm. And uh, I, I was just like, this is going to be the thing. Like having this as, a, as an obstacle in front of me is going to drive me. And that's when my lifting started taking off. But it's also when I said, I need to know more about why I had that surgery and other, this other string of accidents that, is, that has happened. And so I started in this realm. I started going to different clinicians and I wasn't getting an answer that I wanted till finally I found someone that introduced me uh, to a, a methodology uh, around uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. I'm like this is interesting. So I spent years, you know, diving through that, getting to know all the instructors, and then I'd get an introduction to people around that, like Dr. Stu McGill, Dr. Kelly Sturet, Dr. Uh, Craig Liebenson, who bought DNS to the United States, Dr. Charlie Weingroff, who's like all these like key amazing figures and. I talk to them and next thing I know, I'd be lecturing with them. And then I'd be like, uh, which is crazy. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm into this like nine months and I'm like, okay, I'm lecturing on stage with Dr. Stu McGill to 150 doctors right now. That's kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, but it was, they were interested in my perspective from an athlete, but also like my, my view of this stuff. And I started really looking at, the equipment as a whole and the the overall approach that we're using and i started seeing i started having this different lens because now i was an engineer a high performance athlete but i i well i ended up it's been probably 10 years and it's ongoing now but you know you know clinical level curriculum on uh uh neurology uh biomechanics all this sort of stuff and so i just the lens started was very different. And so Kabuki strength was an output of that. It's equipment that is 
biomechanically sound. It gets you, it always sounds silly, like a joint's in the right position. But uh, honestly, having the right length tension relationship of muscles in a movement and being able to accommodate to the variances in one lifter to another, the mobility restrictions, the training needs, all of this, it has a deeper impact as well as far as like what's happening from a neurological perspective and getting uh, the, the, the right adaptations, the stabilizers working as stabilizers, uh, prime movers, you know, you know, doing what their job. Um, and so that all came around to using equipment that wasn't just like, you know, preschool shoving a, you know, around a round peg through a square hole, but to accommodating to the athlete, but is also sending the right signals. And I often relate this because I'm an engineer, I like cars, that sort of stuff, but like the uh, traction control on a vehicle is a lot of people think it takes the power from a spinning wheel and sends it to a gripping wheel. Now, if you're going around a corner and you're slipping because there's ice or snow, it just detunes the engine, detunes the shift patterns, reduces the, the force output so you don't slip and die a fiery death. And we design our bodies the same exact way. So when we sense instability, when we the body is detuning and depowering and reducing power output and actually restricting movement around said joint. You don't have tight hips from squatting. You have tight hips from squatting like shit is what it is, right? And so this is really kind of, it became an education company and an equipment company built around uh, these, these philosophies. And so there's, yeah, a lot of stuff that I started doing that, you know, like my transformer bar, for example. Yes, every able-bodied person should be able to squat through a full range of motion. But thinking that that means with a center of gravity in this exact spot right here, no, that's not how that actually works. And so if we can shift that around and accommodate for, you know, the six foot nine major league baseball player, I, I work with every single major league baseball team, by the way, and about 80, 90% of the NBA and NFL, uh, because they're the, the people working with know the understand the benefits of what we're doing, but we can now make that pattern work perfectly. And we can make, take the training needs out of, out of it. As far as like, I've got a room full of, you know, players from the Dominican Republic, for example, all I need to do is get them stronger and more resilient. They have high skill level in the field, but no gym skill level. Well, I don't want to damage them by, you know, having them squat without supervision, or I could put this bar in place that actually, you know, aligns the pelvis to diaphragm, which is going to create a great loading of the pelvic floor through the diaphragm and this opposition. And then I'm going to get all the muscles to create, or the, as that loads, there's going to be a, uh, oh, my mind went blank right now. Uh, uh, an eccentric loading of that cavity, which is going to create pressure around the spine, create those co-contractions of the thoracic lumbar musculature and everything that's going to happen, right? All these things just happen and I don't have to spend a bunch of time to teach them how to do it and to teach them how to fight around a traditional bar. Same thing happens on a bench press. Uh, you know, the, you know, my, my, my pressing bar looks like a lot of other bars, but those minor nuances make a big difference. Like when I introduced that to the major league baseball, 
you know, not a lot of pressing was pressing was happening at the time. And I, I knew from experience, most of the major league baseball coaches, about 70, 80% of them have had surgery, can't bench. So on, I said, let's go bench. I can't do that. Can't even take a straight bar to my chest. It was over like a three day period. I went to a bunch of teams and demoed it. And uh, every single one of them worked up to two plates and did reps. And I mean, their staff jaws dropped, like how bad that hurt. Mind you, it's also arched. So they have a three inch greater range of motion yep. than a normal bar. They're like, so you're talking about, and I know exactly. And now they're, look, they're doing 225, longer range of motion, um, no pain. In, yeah, I was in Vegas yeah. with Stan Efforting uh, about a year ago. And, you know, we always work out when I go out there. And I was like, hey, let's do, let's do it. I'll smash our upper bodies. And he's like, I got a shoulder thing. And I'm like, well, we got the kabuki bar here. It's fine. You'll be, you be fine. And sure enough, we we're like smashing three plates with it. But, um, but know, it's subtle little things like that. Yeah. People don't realize. So it's like the the balance with the curve creates the weight below, which creates a stability point. It's like a, it's like a difference between a teeter totter, yep, which has a balance point, but it's infinitely perfect. So it's always going to be one side or other or a swing weight. The, cent the center of mass is below center of rotation versus center of mass on center of rotation mm -hmm. has an impact and that has a neurological impact. And then the angle of the handle is different with every position in and out allowing, you know, matching, the you know the the internal versus uh, external rotational bias of the shoulder, but leaving just a little bit left to still cue external rotation and engage. Mm -hmm. Like just there's a bunch of little things, and it's mind blowing when you put it together. And it's like oh, and I think the yeah. easiest way to get it is to actually feel it. Like you know with, yeah. with these these guys. That, that, that's ourselves. Like it, it, you could sit there and talk about it. people are like oh yeah 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 whatever. And it's like you know put it in your hands. You're like oh. Oh, these aren't just words. <laughs> you know, that's such a that's such a pick me up for the athlete who thinks that they're done. You know, things mm -hmm. like, oh, I, can't, I can't squat heavy anymore. I can't bench heavy anymore. I can't do this. I can't do that. And they may not realize these opportunities. You know, Chris, you mentioned some stuff that has just resonated so personally with me because Thunderbro was born from a back injury. It was from a, my back reconstruction where I was like, fuck, can't keep doing CrossFit yeah. anymore. I can't, can't keep training as I know it. You know, after surgery, I was wondering, laying on the couch for two weeks, thinking, I've got this, you know, amazing new lease on life. Thank goodness we have the technology to, like, fix the back and, you know, drill the holes in the spine so the canals can operate the way they're supposed to. And I was just wondering how I was going to honor that. And that really drove me into learning about hypertrophy science and collaborating. You collaborated with Stuart McGill, who's also a amazing dude. I, I've read all of his books on, on, on back care and all that stuff. And everyone should get a peek at that. Who's a serious lifter or not. Um, but you know, just to kind of that fire, that, that ignition, I never thought it would grow into this. I'm sure you never thought it would grow into Kabuki strength, but it, it opens up these doors where it's like opening up a, a room where you're like, look at all this shit in here. This is incredible. my whole career and life has shifted as a result of these injuries. And some of them I'll never overcome. Like yep. that's why I ended in the end up, I ended up quitting competing and doing grand goals is because, you know, my elbows, by the time I'd learned all this stuff were completely destroyed and I don't have any range of motion. So I'm like, well, squat and deadlift. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and, uh, but I ended up pushing those to levels that like, it allowed me to do something. I'm like, I'm going to do something that's inspiring, that shows you like, you know, the stuff that I'm talking about, the ability to 
uh, manage and control spinal mechanics and show I'm not a specialist. That's why I'm going to squat and deadlift. Yep. Uh, and uh, allowed me to do like this feat instead of like following this box and paradigm of what everyone else, uh, you know, views and thinks that you should do. I was told like, as soon as I quit competing, I was going to be obsolete. You know, people are, I, I was no longer going to, yeah, have anything within this industry it's like i think very much not the case right guys like you will reinvent themselves 10 times (laughs) over uh, you know and and that's just who you are you know it's it's you know these things they're just vessels to express your gifts your talents and you know they they run their course and then it's on to the next thing and it, it it's it's a death and a rebirth in a lot of cases too and i think like um you know that that process of reinventing yourself is is something that a lot of our athletes have to do because they're aging out of these old training systems. They're realizing, hey, I can't, you know, continue to do what I've been doing. And we were talking a little bit before the show and, you know, just speaking to the fact that, you know, as you get older, you, you need to get smarter. You can't get away with you used, yeah. used to get away with when you were younger. And A plus B doesn't always equal C, meaning what you responded to before doesn't mean you're going to respond the same way to it anymore. And so, you know, working with an increasing level of prescription assessment and adjustment or adding the precision and accuracy to, you know, the the different things you're doing become more and more important as you get older, especially when it comes to movement selection. Oh, yeah. Now, what movements work for you that you feel confident in that you can progressively overload and get good intensity out of it, but not fuck yourself up and end up back on the surgery table or not allow for that consistency yeah. and because it's like, of- but i need to do x because this is what everybody says you have to do is this right over here well in crossfit like, these they are say, the three well, best exercises how do yeah. I, how can i not like i guess i'm done sometimes and, it's literally because it's written on the whiteboard that day you know they're like well that's the workout so i, sh- I should do that and it's okay you know to to use the specialty bar to to have you know you have to understand yourself more and more um and i think like um you know, so, it, it is a beautiful process. Let me, let me give it, an example here. So my training partner and business partner, when I started training him was uh, 58 years old, 59 years old. And this is back when like geared powerlifting was a thing, right? So you would wear a squat suit and a bench press shirt. And so last year he competed at 73 years old and he beat his 58 year old numbers without the gear wow as a raw athlete right he's the strongest now septuagenary oh and he's had a double shoulder replacement yep and yet he's still trained most people would say he couldn't train right and the only way that he is able to is by incorporating the equipment and the methodology and yeah when it comes meet time he'll get under a, a straight bar or use a straight bar but that's not his his training because those cumulative loads like here's the thing like all biological, all materials, biological or not, have a loading capacity, okay? Now, people argue, well, biological materials adapt. Absolutely. But if we're using inefficient patterns, if we're fighting and pushing on tissues that don't have adaptive stress, uh, what we're doing is we're consuming are consuming our limited recovery capacities. So if we train with the right movements, like, hey, I can't do X movement that I'm supposed to, but I can do one that delivers almost identical results that doesn't have the risk factors, or 
I can use a specialty bar that's actually better at getting the loading in the right place to elicit the right results. What does that mean? It means, so those other words, they sounded like, what, where the hell is he going with that? It means that with those same recovery capacities, I can now train more frequently or with more volume or with more load. If I do that, what happens? You get bigger, stronger, faster. It's that simple, right? Because you have a limit, you have limited capacity. You're using some of your capacity in an inefficient manner. I yep. mean, like it's it's that straightforward. And it's interesting because you know, you developed this equipment, and and for a lot of our athletes, it's e even expanding the movement variations, you know, because we're so stuck on these, you know, whatever set of core movements as like this is the full meal deal. This is the, the sexy movement that is in the competition or was written on the whiteboard or whatever, but you end up with, and maybe you've got to do that at the competition, but it doesn't mean you have to have the cumulative load of that week over week, session over session over the course of the year. Yep. And that I see will eat you your, up and spit you out with your transformer bar. For instance, you know, you mentioned stuff about body types, you know, people look at a guy like Tom Platts or some top Olympic lifters with long torsos and short femurs. And you're like, oh, what an amazing squat. I'm like, well, well, no, they're built for that. They're built for the bar right on the neck. Yep. Like, that's not, that's it's, exactly. You're, you're a different build. And I've had athletes that we've used a transformer bar with who have back injuries. who are like, I can't, I can't barbell back squat. And we flip the load all the way up to the front. We get, we get them as upright as we can. Sometimes even we elevate their heels and all of a mm -hmm. sudden they're like, holy shit, I'm, I'm able to squat pain-free and take the hip and the knee through a, a loaded range of motion. That doesn't fuck me up because the back is stable there. And, and, and in those alternate positions, it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. But when we get stuck in these paradigms of like, well, it doesn't count unless I have a, a you know, a straight bar. It's like the, the randomness of that is just stupid. Like, yeah. And, uh, how do you think I pull off the things that I pulled off in my lifting? Like, to, like I was able to train more frequently, higher volumes, higher intensity. I got the results, right? Um, and, and it's I knew how to recover. Too. You know, I think athletes, you don't know what bar, what variations is gonna, are going to work for you. You got to try it. You got you yep. to test and retest and say, okay, does this feel better? Does this feel worse? Do you respond to it? You know, you kind of create a greatest hits list. Like this is my playlist of, of the movements I should be doing. And then you can accumulate a custom set of bars or whatever it might be. And you can start to formulate that program for yourself. Uh, you know, Chris, like a lot of, a lot of folks who are, um, you know, fans of strength training coaches that they, they love learning, right? I think across the board, taking the courses, um, you know, going to the seminars, reading the books, like that's awesome. But there is such a difference between learning and doing, right? There's a difference between <laughs> knowledge and information. Yep. And so, you know, there, there's no better way to learn than to do it yourself and do it with your athletes. And, Absolutely. And like you cannot, like I'm a, I'm definitely like in the, if, if you want to, you know, put on the nerd spectrum, like I'm like very much in that realm. But if you're just going to sit there and only follow the advice of somebody that compiles the research sitting at the Starbucks and never touched a, touched a weight, like there's only so far because you actually, you can't understand it until you do it. 
I could sit there and talk about how to do a water cut all day long. You could read all the research, but until you experience it, you really don't know it. Same time, you can't just go to, you know, the gym bro that, you know, doesn't do any sort of research or they just have no background or interest in, you know, that side of stuff. And it's just like, just off of what they feel or been told, like, right. It's the, the magic is in this realm of being thoughtful, understanding, but living and doing it. And that's, that's how I discover. Cause what it, we talked about building resilience, right. And building resilience, one of the values of that to get stronger, you've got to step into the unknown. You've got to put yourself on the edge right? You're on the edge of failure. When you're there, you actually have the opportunity to really understand what's working and what's not. What are those pieces from all the things that I've done, all the different nuance of science or whatever I, different people I listen to or, but in that moment, you, you, you can find like, that's the value of like, I don't plan on stepping on a bodybuilding show but I want to walk through a transformation process. I actually got coached by an IFBB pro several times to just lean out as if I was going to step on stage, walk through the whole process, including the, the, the cut, the dehydrate, just so that I could experience the suffering and know what that process is like. That's how I, that's how I work. And there's like, no better way to learn that. I mean, you can read every no book, but until path. you know how that feels and you can see the changes in your body, you're, you're, you know, we're living in the age of like online national inquirer. Okay. It's just salacious clickbait headline after clickbait headline, especially in the realm of fitness. It's, it's a nightmare, honestly. Um, you know, because there's so much noise and garbage from people that are just regurgitating stuff that they don't really understand. You know, they're, they're just kind of spouting out the verbal diarrhea, but they don't get that stuff at a deep level because that's really what it takes is you have to live it. And unfortunately, there's no way to get that quickly. You, you know, it, it's going to take time and it's, you're going to have to fail. The best lessons are going to come from when you fail. Um, and there's no easy pill for people. And, and you know, that, that idea of instant gratification, it just, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And that's why I've done the things like the grand goals again, like I walk the walk, what I preach, I do what I preach on resilience, what I preach on movement, like I'll push to the limits and, and one, you know, to test myself and know, um, but it's, that is the scientific process for me as well. Like is, is to live it, to demonstrate it and learn from it. Hell yeah. Oh, Chris, dude, it's been amazing talking to you. Um, if you guys are out there, please check out Chris, check out his book, check out his website. Chris, where can people find you? It's pretty easy. So my name's Duffin. If you're if you're listening to it, it's like muffin, but with a D. Okay, ChrisDuffin.com, or you go in the Google and you type in Chris Duffin. I'll probably pop up. You go in the social medias. You type in Chris Duffin. You're gonna find me. So uh, LinkedIn and Instagram are gonna be like the two areas where I'm more active. Instagram more than the other. Um, you know, I'm on all the other stuff or most of the other stuff anyway. Um, the LinkedIn, because I do a lot of the work in that professional realm with the coaches and, and, and whatnot. Yep. Um, uh, but my website, you will see links to build fast formula, which is my, you know, supplementation, uh, approaches, uh, barefoot athletics, which is 
if you want to know about resilience of the foot and an often overlooked topic, like I know we've, we've talked a lot about like the transformer bar. We've talked about the cambered Kabuki multi-grip bar, but there's a lot of other really cool yeah, shit yeah, that like yeah. the dumbbells, the, the barefoot train, the trap bar, like there's tons of tons of cool stuff out there and they're awesome solutions for people. So, then, you know, and then yeah, Kabuki strength are on there. If you sign up for my email list, there should be an auto email that uh, sends you some exclusive discounts. And I think uh, like the free, uh, first half of my book for free or something like that. Uh, there's also a free audible download, I think on there, uh, you know, it's that if you've got to sign up for an audible account or whatever, you know, how all that, whatever, however that stuff works. Uh, online. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, that's kind of the home. There's not a lot on the site, but it's a, uh, it's a good uh, central hub to everything where you can look up those different uh, uh, companies. And then most of the social media, like Instagram, if you go up to the, there's a link tree link to all those uh, sorts of things. So I've got some pretty phenomenal stuff on recovery protocols, uh, mm -hmm. the best uh, researched and uh, comprehensive approaches that use uh, relates to uh, uh, peptides and how you amplify that uh, with uh, blood flow restriction types of training tools. Uh, and then the developmental kind of uh, movement work as well. Uh, that's uh, on there in the blog. Um, All yeah. next level stuff. And honestly, you know, it, it, it usually takes a person that appears to be way off the map doing stuff that are, you know, is pissing other people off to really make some innovation. You know, in 10 years, maybe this is all the norm. Maybe this has changed the face of, of training and recovery. And, you know, you, I, it, it already has. I mean, like when I now. was doing the stuff that I was doing, like this was 10 years ago, these were yeah not uh not the norms and now they call them cookie training ideas until people yeah. realize it fucking works and yep. you know and it's actually legit science and thinking behind it but chris thank you so much for coming on man uh you know chris duffin athlete entrepreneur writer inventor and all-around inspirational guy check his stuff out and um thank you so much for for being a part of our thundercast today all right thanks dave good talking with you Great to talk with you too, dude. I'll talk to you soon.